back. I haven't been to church in like a month, so be praying for me too. No, I've been uh, gone out of the country uh, with, the, with the group in Nepal, and so I'm really excited to be back in fellowship with my family. It's great. And today we're having uh, just the special Sunday of our Nepal trip recap. It's going to look a little different this year and just feeling the Lord leading us to just look at a theology of missions before we get into uh, why did we go there, where did we go, what did we do. And so when you look, and and if you want to go to Genesis, we do have it on the screen, but um, before even what we get into, you know, you look at creation, that when God did really the capstone of all creation, his best thing, which was man and woman, he created us in his image to represent him and to spread his likeness. So when he created man and woman in his image to represent him and reflect him in this world, he said, be fruitful and multiply and go and fill the earth. So that was really like the first great commission. It was at creation, telling man and woman who reflect his glory to go tell the world about his glory, to fill the world with his glory. Uh, And then we go into just a few chapters later, and we have this promise to Father Abraham uh, that the Lord said to him, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. This is chapter 12. We can go back one. Uh, It's chapter 12. We're in verse uh, 1. Go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, uh, you know, we might put ourselves in Abram's shoes there, you know, here in America. And, you know, you have the Lord show up, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. And just, you know, our tendency is like, yeah, make me great. I'm going to be awesome. Woo, yeah, me, you know. And, uh, and even in that promise, just the Lord gets Abram's eyes off of himself and says, you are going to be blessed to be a blessing. There's an end goal in the blessings of God, and that is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed, or in this case, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So to Abraham, to his son Isaac, to Isaac's sons Jacob, that promise is reiterated over and over and over again. Now, and sometimes the promise says, the promise is, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In some, it's in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then all the families of the earth. And so when you look at that word nations, it's the word ethne, ethne. And what that speaks of is it can be translated and looked at and missiologists or those who study missions tell us that even the smallest family group of the world will be blessed through the blessings of Abram. And in that promise there in Genesis chapter 12, uh, in you, and then look in Genesis 26 verse 4 at the end, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, or in your offspring, all the nations. So that's, the book of Galatians tells us that seed or that offspring is Jesus. So Abram, I'm going to bless you And through your offspring, Jesus, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. 
all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through Jesus. So Abram was blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing through Jesus. And so when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the scriptures, how did Abram and his children do with that? Um, Well, we see sort of Israel's commission and their failure in the Old Testament. Uh, When you look at the prophets and the minds of many and the prophets, the scope of God's plan of salvation certainly went beyond just Israel and the people of Israel. And it included all the people of the earth, which for those of you that are maybe new to the Bible and new to church, we call all those other people that aren't Israel Gentiles. Okay, that might be your first... um, That might be your first vocab word of the day. No, the first one was ethne, right? Peoples, nations, all right? Second vocab word of the day is um, Gentiles or non-Jews, those that are not Israel. And so let's look at some of these prophets and how they're trying to, to get the children of Abraham that all the world was to be blessed through. The prophets are trying to kind of snap them and wake, you know, snap to them and wake them up and say, hey, it's not just about Israel. It's not just, you are blessed to be a blessing to the world. And so, for instance, Isaiah 56, 3, do not let the son of the foreigner or the Gentile, the non-Jew, who's joined himself to the Lord, speak saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. And so there's just this encouragement there from uh, Isaiah that, that, man, we get to be a part of it. And this is encouraging to me. I'm, I'm from Oregon, you know. Um, I'm not Jewish, like, at all. Um, I got a little bit of uh, Irish. I got a little bit of German. Got a little bit of uh, Omaha Indian, you know. And so I really don't fit into the Jew scene. Uh, I can grow sideburns like nobody's business and uh, put a little hat on the back of my head. But other than that, I just don't fit in. Um, and so there's hope for me. Uh, And I can say, I don't have to say, the Lord has separated me from his people. Uh, Then Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9, the prophet Zephaniah prophesied that all nations will call upon the name of the Lord. It says, for then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. Uh, The concept of purification among the Jews, uh, as you read the prophets, is no longer exclusive to only the people of Israel. The prophet Malachi makes it clear that uh, the right of worshiping God was going to be bestowed upon the non-Jews as well. Look at Malachi 1.11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And so just think about that for a sec. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but when you're reading about the story of Israel, like Israel wasn't concerned about this. They were missing this. And they got so prideful about being Israel that they ended up despising and hating anyone that weren't the Jews. You know, uh, they, you know, they'd rather be a dog or dead than to be a non-Jew or a woman. Those were like the worst things in the world to be. Um, and they didn't get that from the teachings of God either, just in case you're wondering. Um, and so there's this encouragement to the non-Jews that my name is going to be great among them. And isn't it great among us non-Jews here today? I mean, there might be one or two 
of you here today? Raise your hand if you're Jewish, just so I'm speaking to you. Okay. A lot of hands went up. You just didn't see. They went up real fast. Like, oh, there's all the Jews in here. Um, and so weren't we just like, run into your arms or whatever. We were worshiping Jesus here. Today. I can't wait to be with you. You know, this is awesome. We're taking communion. We're thinking of Jesus and the cross and what he's done to forgive us of our sins. Today in Prineville, Oregon, his name has been great among the Gentiles. Uh, in every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations says the lord of hosts the development of the concept of the university of god's plan of salvation was spoken through the prophecies in the old testament and they can be broken down to some of these different orders or degrees i'm just going to run through these real quick so that i can then kind of get into how the lord worked this out over the last few weeks and in our church um and so the title of the people of God would be widened in its application to include all nations that were at one time considered strangers to the things of God. This is in Hosea chapter 2 verse 23. It says, Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. So Peter gets into this in the New Testament, speaking to the church, speaking to the non-Jews and says, hey, Hosea writes about how you once said, I'm not a people. And God once said, you're not my people. But through what the gospel has provided for us in the son of God dying for our sins and redeeming a people for himself, now we non-Jews are included in the blessings of God to Israel. We can say, we are your people, God, and you are my God. That's the, the gospel in Hosea when you're reading the Old Testament. Secondly, the Messiah's flag or banner of love and protection will be flung over all the nations. Uh, he'll no longer just be the Messiah who's a national savior over Israel but a savior and king over the whole earth. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. And so everyone knows that's speaking of the Messiah, the son of David, the root of Jesse. Um, uh, in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him. So he's going to be a banner over all the nations. He's going to be a, a banner, a, a, a flag of protection um, to all the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. And even that last phrase, his resting place shall be glorious, is understood that the, cloud, the closed house of God is opened through the gospel to all nations, that we all get to rest in the glorious house of God. Fourth, nations, all the nations, will be a partaker of God's forgiveness of sin. And so the grace of purification will be granted to the Gentiles. Forgiveness of sin granted to the Gentiles, not only the people of Israel. Uh, Isaiah 25, 7 through 8. And he will destroy on this mountain 
the surface of the covering cast over the people and the veil that is spread over all the nations. So interesting, we just read of the banner of the Lord being spread all over the nations. At the same time, he destroys a different covering that was over all the nations that is the covering of sin and the wrath of God towards sin. So you see the gospel for the world that I'm going to remove that banner that was, was destruction for sin and wrath and I'm going to put my banner as a covering over a people that is my salvation and forgiveness. That veil that spread over all nations was sin that we're reading of here in Isaiah 25. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. So as you read that, like we're, we're talking about all of the nations of the world. We're talking about every tribe, tongue, people group, even family groups, even think of your family, insert your last name there, that the blessings through Abraham will pour upon my family. I'm Rogers. Grandpa just died 96 years old. I found out sometimes I spell it with a D, sometimes with a G. I like didn't know my identity for a couple months there. I'm like, it was always with a D, you know? And it's just like, whatever, like Jesus just pour out on the Gentiles upon the Rogers because we need it right now. We're in a crisis. D or no D, I don't know. But uh, that's neither here nor there, really. And so he wipes away tears from every face. Uh, but all faces, all the faces, all the tribes, all the tongues, they will have his mercy and love and his forgiveness and the tears wiped away. The rebuke of his people he will take away from the whole earth for the Lord has spoken. The fifth thing that the, the Old Testament prophets speak of to the world is that the Gentiles will turn away from their ways of iniquity and they will glorify God. In Isaiah 66, 19, I will set a sign among them. Those among them who escape, I will send to the nation. And then a list of places that he'll send them. Uh, to the coastlands afar off who've not heard my fame nor seen my glory and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Guys, this is an amazing verse for what we do as Christians and what we do as a church here in Prineville is that uh, we have escaped and he will send us to the nations. So now we've been blessed by the seed of Abraham and now we go out to the nations and there's just like a list of all the different places and I like it. And coastlands, some of you are like, call me to Hawaii, God. You're like, well, yeah, that is a coastland. Um, and all those afar off, listen to this, because this is going to come in a little bit later, who have not heard, okay? This is going to get into our theology here. This is our theology. Those who have not heard of my fame, nor seen my glory. And what are we going to do when we go there? We are going to declare his glory among all those other Gentiles, those other non-Jews who've never heard. I love it. The sixth thing, people of the ends of the earth will be taught of God's truth. Look at Isaiah 42, 4. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. The seventh thing is that the redeemed of God in the whole world will walk in the light of God. Isaiah 51, 4. Have you ever noticed these things as you're reading through Isaiah? I mean, sometimes you're like... I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay. Well, the good news is it's all about look at our sin or Israel or Judah's sin. There's a hero coming to rescue us. 
and the rescue doesn't just stop with us, it goes out to the world, and God will be glorified. That's, that's the story. Like, here you go. Like, now you understand the Bible. Okay, so when you're reading Isaiah, just look for that. It's the, the story of the Bible. And so when you look there, Isaiah 54, when listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for the law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light to the peoples. And so we peoples will rest in the light of the Lord. We'll begin following the light. The eighth thing, not only will the Gentiles join the people of God, but they also will be found in the leadership of the people of God. We will be priests and Levites. Those are Jewish words, by the way. But look at Isaiah 66, 21. And I will also take some of them for priests and Levites. This is astounding to the Jews to read that it doesn't just end with me. But these non-Jews are going to be raised up to be leaders in this, in this plan of God. This was almost a too advanced concept for the average Israelite to understand. All this was going to be done through the instruments of the people of God. It was supposed to be Israel and because they got so self-centered and myopic and just focused on their own national privilege, they missed out on this plan of being missionaries in the Old Testament. Sometimes it would work out. You do see that at times. But overall, there was major failure in their mission obedience. Um, and so Zechariah used some very clear words to delineate the mission of Israel. In Zechariah 8.13, it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. So Israel and Judah became a curse to the nations because they weren't walking in the missionary blessing and light that God had for them. But it said, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to work it out. I'm going to redeem that. But it's not going to be through you alone. Uh, that's all of that. But I have to say, we're just going to read a psalm real quick, that I love, it's a prophecy of all these nations coming to know Jesus. It's Psalm 2, 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? Then it goes on in the psalm to say, all these nations, they're rising up against the Lord and against his Messiah, and he's not going to have any of it. And it goes on to say in Psalm 2, 8, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So it shows the role of prayer in the missional heart of God. And tonight when we gather, we're going to sing this psalm. It's, there's a, new, a song about it. And we're going to ask the Lord for the nations we've been ministering to as a church that they would come and become reached people who've heard the gospel. We're going to pray and ask that the Lord would get our nations that we've been focusing on for his inheritance. The ends of the earth is his possession. And that as verse 12 of the psalm says, that they would kiss the son lest he be angry and, per and they would perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little But Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And so that's really like the prophets. That's not all of it. That's just a little bit. We don't got time for it all. But the prophets speaking towards Israel, Judah, you're to be blessings and missionaries to the world that the Gentiles would, would know the forgiveness and salvation of God. Enter in Jesus who comes in, lives a perfect life, dies the death of a sinner, though he never sinned, 
lets his blood atone for the sins of the world. He rises from the dead. He shows himself alive for 40 days, total proven that, that he was vindicated in his claims to be God and the savior of the world. And then he sends out all of his followers to now do this, this plan. Now, now, now you guys go full of the Holy Spirit in power to go be that light to all the nations that Israel was supposed to be. And so that, that missionary team is sent out and it's made of Jews. And then it's going to be made up of non-Jews as time goes on. And let's just look at those, the commissions that Jesus sent out those followers with. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So Jesus risen from the dead says, I've got all authority and now I'm sending you out. You are to go and to share the gospel with all the nations, all the nations. Uh, Mark's gospel says, go preach the gospel to every creature, every creature. And when you look at the gospel, you actually get to preach the gospel to the wasp, to the weed. You know, you get to be like, hey, look, you, you think you're winning now, but boy, you got another thing coming. You know, um, you preach the gospel about how God's redeeming the fall and the curse. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now. I used to, and it turns out I'm going to again this year, I didn't know this, uh, but I used to teach at the School of Ministry in Corvallis and teach the book of Revelation. And as I'm teaching about, you know, the Lord coming back and the rapture and looking up and waiting for the Lord to come, uh, one of the students raised his hand and he said, but Rory, what do you say about like, like in the Olivet Discourse, it's all about the end times, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, which we have on the screen for you, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And, and I was like, well, come on, homie. Like, I mean, Mexico, Canada, Guatemala, they've all heard about Jesus, man. So, yeah, you know. And, and I was like, so now be quiet. You're being a distraction to the whole class. No. Um, and it wasn't until just years later that, still with a heart that like the imminent return of Jesus can come back at any time, but that the Lord wasn't speaking about sovereign nations, but that he was speaking about the ethne, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the ethnes, okay, as a witness to all the peoples, all the tribes, all the tongues, all the nations, this ethne, it's, it's defined as these people are divided among the world, mostly by language groups, right? As you go throughout the world, you'll notice that there's so many different languages. And when we go to Nepal, we go in the Himalayas and you turn a corner, like it's not even very many miles. It's another language and they don't speak the same. They don't talk. They can't talk to each other. Different language. You see tribes and tongues like you know, uh, just in a concentrated area there in Nepal, like really you don't almost see anywhere else in the world. But those ethnic groups are also divided not only by language, but by geographical boundaries like Himalaya mountains, like oceans, like coastlands. Uh, they're divided up based on persecution. And so it's really hard to get into the Pakistans and the Irans because there's persecution. The gospel, no one's going in there. 
It's hard to get in there. Even if you want to go in there, it's, it's really hard to get in there. And so the gospel, it needs to go out, but these different little people groups, all the way to the families and the tribe and, and wait in the jungle and up high on the mountain, um, in 2,000 years, people haven't been going there. And I want to just look at uh, some slides that I have here. Let's see if I can, uh, I'm going to go to this one first. Sorry, as I kind of take control there for a sec, Terry. <laughs> um, scares people when I do that. They're like, ah, demon-possessed computer. Um, so some of this is, raise your hand if you could come up and preach this for me right now. I mean, this is the hundredth time we've taught this as a church. Aaron, you could. You're an elder. That doesn't count. Come on. Kerbo, you know you could do it. Come on. All right. So this is totally repeat, but that's good. Okay. We need repeat on this stuff. In fact, when I was in Nepal this year, our organization goes and tries to teach villages how to clean water so they don't get dysentery and die. All their children were dying. And, and so they'd bring water filters and they'd train the villagers like, how do you, this is how you filter your water. And they're like, okay, great. And then they leave and come back and they're like using the bucket for like doing laundry in and stuff. It's like, why aren't you doing this? And they're like, well, you know, it's just not our culture. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's inconvenient. And why not just drink out of the creek? That's what my family's been doing for a thousand years. Just drink out of the creek next to the pooping spot. You know, it's like, seems like a good idea to me, you know. I said poop from the pulpit. I apologize. But, and so our organization noticed that all the women were wearing like a pregnancy um, birth control patch thing. And so he's like, well, how did, how, did, how did you get all, they asked the health post, how did you get all the women to wear the birth control you know, patch? And they're like, they didn't want to wear it. It was against their culture. They'd never done it before for thousands of years. And this, but we just kept teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. Now they all wear it. So they begin teaching the villages, purify your water, purify your water, purify your water. And now everybody's purifying their water. And it's the same with, we have got to educate the, the privileged societies like America, who are the richest countries that the world has ever seen and are the most reached with the gospel that the world has ever seen. And yet the world isn't hearing about Jesus because people aren't hearing about this stuff. So if you come to Calvary Chapel, Kirk County, you're all going to be wearing birth control patches, and you're all going to be filtering your water, and you're all going to care about the... No, I'm teasing about all that. Uh, but man, you got to know about the task remaining to reach these nations, because Israel failed at it, and the church is failing at it, and there's still a commission for us, and we've been given the gospel and given the Holy Spirit to go reach, okay? So if you got the big blue world, it looks like a giant blueberry when you're looking at it from space. Uh, there's about 7.2 billion people on it, Okay. And that has been broken down into about 11,495 people groups. That is different tribes, tongues, and nations that we've been speaking of, okay? Within that big 7.2 billion blue world, half of the population is orange and is considered unreached. That's 2.4 billion people or 6,827 Nations, families, tribes, and tongues. Now, to be unreached, that means that there's less than 2% Christians who can make disciples of other Christians. So there's, there's no discipleship going on because the numbers are so small. But within half of that half, we have what are called the unengaged unreached. And so that is a quarter of a billion people or 3,250 people. And what that people groups... And what that is, is there is currently zero effort whatsoever by Christians in this world to reach those people with the gospel. 
okay? So what we have is about a quarter of the world's population that are unengaged and unreached. Um, most of those are found where the red is what's called, in what's called the 1040 window. Uh, and so you've got Central Africa, Northern Africa, the Horn of Africa, South Asia, especially in India. And you'll notice that darkest red at the top of India um, that uh, even the Chinese believe. By the way, China isn't all that unreached and they're persecuted hard for their faith. The Chinese believe that that dark band at the top of India uh, is the Himalaya mountains and they believe there's such demonic stronghold in that area that if, that if the gospel were able to penetrate, then the gospel would be able to burst through the 1040 window, head through the Middle East, and go what's called back to Jerusalem where it started. And so persecuted Christians who are experiencing the miracles of God to get the gospel out, they're saying, get to northern India, get to Nepal, get to the Himalayas, help us reach the Himalayas, and burst through this wicked dam of unreached people groups so that the gospel can flow. And they just believe that that'll just create a tidal wave through the Pakistans, the Irans, and all the way up through to Israel where the gospel started. So uh, exciting stuff. Now, uh, here we have Nepal and a number of the unreached people groups. You look right there in the top left, there are 250 people groups in Nepal uh, and 242 of them are unreached. Uh, and so we see that there's still quite a task remaining. Now, in the last four years, we as a church have been able to go up and get into the Sherpa people groups of Nepal. There's a population of about 2,400 of them, and they are 0.00% Christian. Uh, and what's amazing is where the Lord took us this year, it was getting back into the Sherpa people group again. Uh, where we are preaching the people, uh, preaching the gospel among them. Uh, for the last two years, uh, the Lord has taken us up to the Tamang of Nepal, and we've had a church strengthening ministry where we've been teaching disciples how to go out and make disciples. And they're at a place where churches are going out and they've got missions trips going. They're going on long treks and long hikes, the Tamang people, and they've got an idea of getting out and reaching their own people in the Himalayas, and we've been able to come and strengthen that. Notice that they're about 5% Christian, which is still way below where we are, but that's a high percentage of Christians uh, for the Nepalis. The organization that we're with specifically goes to reach uh, these 24 unreached people groups of the Tibetan Buddhists in the Himalayas, and so you just have a little bit of a map there. Um, I just want to share before uh, we get into our trip story, I've been reading a lot of biographies lately, and I, here's something that I've noticed. When I was in Nepal, I got to sit down and have a conversation with, I can't say his name, things are recorded and it's dangerous. Uh, he could be arrested, spend time in prison, so I'm vague on our organization's name, people's names, things like that uh, for the sake of protection, but I was with, and you guys have met him, he's come to our church, I was with him in Nepal, and I just said, hey, I've been reading Christian missionary biographies, and I'm noticing that, that up until the 1950s, the church and mission, I mean, they had an awareness of unreached people groups, and they were trying to go reach them. And something happened in the 50s where that stopped. You don't read about that as much. 
and he goes, you got to read this book. <laughs> and this book, it, it begins to tell about how since our baby boomer generation, we began to, as a nation, really focus on luxury and comfort, and it has brought a great blockade to the missionary sending out of America, specifically to these painfully dark and unreached places, because it's just not convenient. It's very difficult, and it's dark and demonic, and it's hard to get to. Let me just read the testimony of a couple guys. Uh, John Patton uh, is the first guy I'm going to share about, just real quick. Um, John Patton was a missionary from Scotland to the area of Australia off New Zealand called the New Hebrides Islands. Uh, quickly, about 19 years before he went, Scotland sent out a group of missionaries uh, to the cannibals of the New Hebrides. They got off their boats. They rowed their boats to shore. They stepped onto the stand. They were all speared through. They were all eaten there in front of the, the large mothership as the mothership sailed away and took a report back to Scotland that, yeah, they all are dead and eaten. And immediately, John Stott said, we got to go back. We got to go back. And so as he began to move towards going back to the New Hebrides Islands, one of his friends and an elder at his church exploded at him saying, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And the memory of those that had already been eaten, it was only 19 years old in the man's mind. And Patton said this famous quote, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection, my body will rise as fair of yours, as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. He went on to write an autobiography. In fact, he wrote a second autobiography so that he could record, quote, God's marvelous goodness in using my humble voice and pen and the story of my life for interesting thousands and tens of thousands of Australians for the work of missions. And that influence goes on today. Even I'm influenced by John Patton's writing. But this is what he writes in his autobiography. Oftentimes, while passing through my perils and defeats of my first four years in missions, I wondered why God permitted such things. But on looking back now, I already clearly perceive that the Lord was thereby preparing me for doing and providing me materials wherewith to accomplish the best work of all my life, namely kindling of the heart of Australian Presbyterianism with a living affection for these islanders of their own southern seas and in being the instrument under God of sending out missionary after missionary to the New Hebrides to claim another island and another island for Jesus, that work and all that may spring from it in time and eternity never could have been accomplished by me but for first the sufferings and then the story of my missionary enterprise. So he's talking about his sufferings where he lost his wife, his son, all within a couple weeks' time. Uh, the natives would come and try to kill him and eat him, and uh, they would come and just hold a musket to his face and follow him around all day long. But the, there were angels in the presence of the Lord that wouldn't let the guy pull the trigger, and they would surround him at night, and he'd come out, and all the tribes are there ready to kill him and eat him. And later on, when the tribes got saved, they said, we couldn't. There were, there, where did that army come from that was all around you that wouldn't let us attack you? Like, this is the exciting stuff 
that's going on out in the world of reaching the unreached. And he says, all these stories are so that I can go to Australia and tell them, y'all got to get off your booties and get over there and start ministering to these islands off your coast that have never heard of Jesus. One night in Nepal, none of us could sleep. The dogs were barking loud and some were snoring loud. No names. Might have been me. Uh, And so a bunch of us guys listened to the story of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor... um, Let me just read it. In July of 1860, he resigned after four years with the Chinese Evangelical Society because of a deep deep conviction that borrowing money was not trusting God. So the mission that he was a part of was was borrowing money, taking out loans, and he was just like, then you're taking stuff that God hasn't provided, and I don't want to be a part of that. So, uh, So Hudson and his wife Maria sailed back to England He was seriously ill with hepatitis, and what seemed like a setback would soon have given rise to one of the two most decisive events of his life. Listen to this. His burden for China grew for the next four years in England. He could not shake the idea that a new mission agency was needed, but he did not know if he could lead it. But in the same period it took the Americans to fight the Civil War, God birthed in Hudson Taylor a vision that would change the history of the largest nation on earth. That moment came on, came on the Lord's Day in June 1865 in Brighton Beach, England, to which he described like this. On Sunday, unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing at their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge, I wandered out in the sands alone in great spiritual agony. And there the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for this service. Hudson Taylor would go on to form the China Inland Mission, one of the most influential missions agencies in China. And my friends, there's a reason that China is not as covered in red dots on the map. It's through the, through the ministry of the China Inland Mission, of which the next guy, C.T. Studd, who I've been talking about quite a bit, uh, became a missionary. And I've been reading C.T. Studd's biography, and I just had to share this little part of it with you. It was not very long before God led me to go to China. I'd never thought of going out in the country. Let me pause real quick. C.T. Studd was part of the Cambridge Seven. With two of his brothers, they were famous cricket players. I mean, this was like Major League Baseball. This is like NFL. He literally, I'm reading his biography. He was the Tom Brady of cricket in England. Everybody knew him. He was the most famous person in England. Him and his brothers. They were all just extraordinary cricketeers. Cricketeers. <laughs> the three cricketeers. Uh, they really were. Um, and so, and then he gets saved, and, and he's grieved over his passion for cricket that has drawn him away from any heart for people. And uh, anyways, he says, and it wasn't before long that God led me to go to China. I never thought of going out of the country before. By the way, if you think that about yourself, watch out. Those are the missionaries God calls. I ain't leaving Prineville. Oh, you are forever. Okay. <laughs> I had felt that England was big enough for me, but now my mind seemed constantly to run in the direction of the Lord's work abroad. That night I could not get to sleep, but it seemed as though I heard someone say these words over and over, ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. 
I knew it was God's voice speaking to me and that I've received my marching orders to go to China. He went on his road to China into a college campus ministry, kind of in the meantime. And he writes, splendid news from Liverpool. The fire is still burning and over 60 professed conversions in one night. I cannot tell how very much the Lord has blessed us. And we daily grow in the knowledge of Jesus and his wonderful love. What a different life from my former one. Why, cricket and rackets and shooting are nothing to this overwhelming joy. Finding out so much about not only the needs of the heathen, but also the poor of London and all great towns has increased my horror at the luxurious way I've been living. So many suits and clothes of all sorts, while thousands are starving and perishing of cold. So all must be sold when I come home, if they've not been so before. Mother dear, I do pray God to show you that it is such a privilege to give up a child to be used of God, of saving poor sinners who've never even heard of the name of Jesus. God bless you, dear darling mother, and I know he will do it and turn your sorrow into joy. And one of my last and final missionary heroes is from Oregon, from actually the hill behind the ranch I grew up on in Bly, Oregon. His name is Archie Mitchell, which uh, was actually his wife. He was a pastor of a missionary alliance church in Bly, Oregon. The church is still there today. And um, in 1945, in May, uh, he took his whole Sunday school class uh, along with his wife and pregnant, uh, his pregnant wife and child, uh, to go fishing up at Dairy Creek outside of Klamath Falls. And uh, as he got there and is unloading the fishing poles, all the kids, 11 kids and his pregnant wife, go to the forest and they find a balloon hanging from a tree. And they say, look, you know, there's a balloon over here with something hanging from it. And he said, don't touch it yet. Let me come see it. And as he said that, it exploded and everybody there died except for him, his wife, his, his baby, unborn baby, and all 11 kids from the Sunday school class. Uh, and it's the only death on American soil during World War II. It was from a Japanese balloon bomb that had floated over from the coast of Japan. Uh, and what amazes me about this story is, you know, where I was from, um, you don't have a lot of appreciation for other races. Um, especially a race that has killed all the children of your community. Uh, in fact, on the other side of the other hill where I grew up, there was a Japanese internment camp at Thule Lake, and we actually got buildings from that internment camp when I grew up. And uh, what's amazing, though, is after two years of healing and grieving over the loss of his wife and children in his Sunday school class, he ended up marrying the sister of a couple of the victims, and they went on to move to Vietnam or Indochina to become missionaries. And here's an article about his sending out uh, as well as this mission. And I'll just read it for the sake of time. Then we'll get in and we'll just kind of, kind of, it's, this is all the big stuff about what has happened in Nepal. Uh, the rest is all just what God's done through this, the theology of missions. Um, but listen to this. This is an Oregonian. This is, this is you guys. This is, you don't think you're ever going to be a mission to the unre missionary to the unreached? You know, because you got, you know, you got a, a car that you can't sell or a house that's this or your kids. Or, you know, try having your entire community blown up by a bomb with your wife and unborn baby. Okay. Just be open to what the Lord might want to do in you. After two years of recovering from the explosion that took his young wife and unborn child, as well as a substantial number of the young ones of his church, Archie Mitchell would marry a woman, Betty Patsky, a sister to a boy and girl killed by the same bomb. 
Two days before Christmas, Archie and Betty sailed to what was then called Indochina, where they served for two terms at the school for Dalat, Vietnam. During their third term in 1962, they served, uh, while serving in a leper hospital and finishing up a midweek prayer meeting, the doors were broken through by Viet Cong soldiers who pointed weapons at them. They demanded the workers and doctors come with them. Archie was able to reason with the soldiers that the doctors and workers would leave peaceably if the mothers and children could stay in safety. The soldiers obliged Archie's request. Betty and the children remained working among the leprous. And the Mitchell children would be raised among the lepers and eventually come back to the States to continue their education. Archie and the doctors who were taken by the soldiers were never heard from again. In April 1975, Betty and the six other missionaries were taken captive by the Viet Cong and held for nearly 10 months, during which time they battled illness and rough treatment. Eventually, they were released. Betty was continuing in various forms of missionary work since, including in North Carolina with the Dega people, a Vietnamese tribal group that has resettled in the States. Now, you got to understand where I'm from. You don't go minister to the people who just blew up your Sunday school class, killed your pregnant wife, and then took the pastor and went and kidnapped him and all the doctors, like, you hate them forever. That's what you do, and you hope they burn in eternity. That's unbiblical. And when the Spirit of God is inside of us, we cannot be content with that. The Missionary Alliance Weekly from April 10th, 1920, so 30 years before this, writes of an earlier pastor, Reverend R.A. Jaffrey, who was accompanied by his wife, Minnie, who recently made a trip to Indochina, covering about six weeks. They hoped to be able to open the first chapel in Saigon, which is now Ho Chi Minh City, and to make a tour into the utterly untouched country of Cambodia, where there was no work at all. Mr. Jaffrey writes, Here are one million souls for whom Christ died, and after 1,920 years, not one of his messengers has gone to them with the story of free salvation in Jesus Christ. Now he helped the Alliance to give them a chance before the Lord returns. Jaffrey would be arrested by the Japanese during the invasion of Indochina, placed in an internment camp where he would die from illness and malnutrition on July 24th, 1945, less than a month before the Japanese would surrender. And so you guys, we have a heritage and a history of revivals of a passion for world missions, for the nations, those that have never heard, the heathen, if you will, and praise God that his spirit is alive and working in our church, giving us a passion to reach them. And that is what we've been doing for the last uh, three years or four trips to Nepal, sending out missionaries to Senegal, sending out missionaries to Uganda, where even amongst an unreached area of, uh, a reached area of Africa, unreached are being reached. It's incredible. Uh, and so we give God glory for that. Now, um, all those pictures showed up. I don't know how that happened. Okay. Um, okay, we're going to move over to PowerPoint, and I'm going to give you kind of an overview of what uh, the Lord did this last year, what he's been doing for the last four seasons, and then we'll have a few testimonies from uh, some of our teammates. Okay, so what we have here is really it's that dark red area on the unreached map. These are the Himalayas. It's just a portion of the Himalayas. It's a portion of the Nepali Himalayas. Uh, and on the right, you'll see a yellow, it, it, there's a laser pointer back there, Jason, you mind running that up to me. Uh, on the right side, there's a, a green mountain with a pinpoint in it. That's Mount Everest. Um, four trips ago, 
uh, we went and our team split up in this area of mountain number. Uh, you see a couple other pinpoints there. And uh, that, I don't know what the blue things are, but um, they're probably us, I think. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, we have spent time among the Sherpa people around Mount Everest. We were about 30 miles from Mount Everest. And then for the last three trips, we've been more on the uh, left side of the screen where all those yellow pointers are. Uh, that is all the area that we um, have been ministering. At the bottom of the screen, oh, I guess it'd be bottom center, Kathmandu with the star. Uh, that's where we fly in. And then after a time in Kathmandu, a day in Kathmandu, we take a very windy, brutal, bus, bussy bump ride, <laughs> bumpy bus ride, uh, up through Badur, which is where uh, Cynthia, our friend, is. And we've done, spent time in Badur doing ministry and then uh, heading up into what's called the Rasua district, um, which is where we spent the last couple years. So we'll go ahead and uh, I'll just share a little bit about uh, this trip in Kathmandu. Appreciate it. Uh, Kathmandu this time, uh, we went to our normal places of uh, these centers for these world religions. Um, I don't know, if, have you guys heard this? That when we were sent out of Prineville, it was clear sky. When we got to the top of the grade to get to the airport, it was foggy. And we get a call from Ken Curvin, who from our church works in the tower and says, brother, you better be praying. Because if I don't see more than a quarter mile visibility, I can't call your plane to take off, you know. Uh, and so we watched the whole airport uh, being delayed in flights. No planes were coming in. So we prayed. We prayed right there in front of everybody. And we just prayed, Lord, we trust you. Whenever you're ready, we're ready. And uh, Mark looks up. He's facing the window. He goes, look. And we were able to see the tree line, which is about a half mile. And within about 10, 15 minutes, Ken calls like, your plane's coming in, man. You know, and so there's our luggage going out, loads up in the plane. Uh, we take off. And then the word that we've heard, I may be wrong, was that we were the only plane all day to come in and take off out of Redmond. So uh, that's kind of what God has been doing in our church in these times. So we give him glory for that. Yeah. And I mean, almost every trip has something like that. Like God is so faithful. Uh, we flew through China, China Southern. Uh, culture shock for a lot of us, even just going through China. And then as we made it into Kathmandu, Kathmandu in Nepal is the center for two of the world's biggest religions, Hinduism. Right here we have Shivalaya, which is where the god Shiva decided to run away for a little while and just frolic on the earth as a deer. And when the other gods found out, they came and fought with him and broke off his antler and his antler fell here and is now the center for reproductive health for the entire world, apparently. Um, but this is really uh, one of the main Hindu worship centers in the world where Shivalaya's horn fell. People come here to uh, die in buildings such as this. And then after they die, they're burned in the, um, I think it's Bagmati River. <clears throat> and uh, just a clean, crystal clear river there that just place to just get water for, for dying. Um, but uh, that day, uh, there were almost uh, cremations happening on every funeral pyre. Uh, it's the most that I'd ever seen at one time. And to be there and to listen to people wail for their loss. And of course, we've shared before, it's very grieving as you watch these bodies burn and the wailing and just the sober realization that these individuals died without probably ever hearing about the gospel and so going to an eternity with a similar fate as well. Uh, then we also head over to the Boda, which is the Buddha. Um, just, just a clean, nice place to run with your children. Um, anyways, 
Uh, the Boda, uh, there also in Kathmandu, is the holy spot for Buddha, uh, for Buddhists, a uh, place where they come to worship. Of course, Nepal is the birthplace of uh, Buddha. So, uh, And then just a day later, we hop in a bus and we head up uh, through Badur <coughs> up to uh, a town called Siapru Besi or Cipher Besi, depending on how fast you say it or what a great Nepali accent you might have. Uh, so we just, on the left there, you head up the yellow road and you move towards um, the Rasua district and this area right here, which is uh, Cipher Besi or Siapru Besi. Um, so this is our third year coming into Cipher Besi and uh, it has been our, our last hotel joint where we begin trekking. Uh, if you just go back to that map real quick, Terry, if you don't mind. Um, <clears throat> uh, last year, here starting at Cyber Vesi, we trekked up in this area to Nessing, Goljung, and, um, and then this year we would end up heading up the Longtong Valley uh, quite a ways farther of a trek, um, just to give you an idea where, where you begin to see some of the pictures. So. Um, so Cyber Vesi is our takeoff spot, has been for three years. Uh, this year we were very excited to get the word that we would be heading up uh, to the Longtong Valley. Now, this was a, a bit of a tough trip because just in the last four months, our missions organization has come under heavy persecution. Uh, a Harvey, Harvard lawyer wrote an article about us uh, <clears throat> saying that we were basically... Um, entrapping people into the gospel, you know, not giving them rice or things they need to live unless they become Christians, things like that. Uh, we came under the microscope of the government in Nepal, <coughs> and uh, we were afraid that our friends there would be getting up to five years in prison, if not more. And so um, we went knowing that we weren't going to be able to openly proclaim the gospel like we have in the past. And that was something that we were uh, bummed about. And we weren't sure what we were even doing here now. You know, what, how's this going to work? But we went trusting the Lord and knowing that you guys were praying for us. And so we essentially like set off just with the, the willingness to be bold for Jesus and open up our mouth. Uh, even if, you know, it, it didn't look how we thought it was going to look. And so it's exciting as the story will go on here today for you. Uh, the way that the Lord did uh, open up those doors. So. Um, as we began our trek up the Longtong Valley, um, our first stop would be called Lama Hotel. That's actually the little village there uh, where we would stay the night. Uh, the first day was the hardest day of the trekking. Uh, it was almost straight up, almost all the time. It was a long day's trek. Um, but, you know, really one thing that I was praising the Lord for with this group is the Lord had really led us to train well and to train together and to learn how to pray with each other when we were struggling. And um, like praise the Lord, there were so many times that it just felt like we were on the football stadium steps going up with weighted packs on. And, um, and as we went up to uh, the Lama Hotel, staying at Jungle Hotel, we stayed with a woman who at one time was a Christian, um, saved through the ministry of Gilson, uh, who we've told his testimony in the past but she'd since married a Buddhist man and had basically fallen away from the faith. And so we really were there with just an intention of praying for her. Uh, she spoke no English, and so we had a translator, and as we were ministering to her, the Lord had put on my heart before we left for Nepal, we read through the book of Acts together as a church, and in reading the book of Acts, 
uh, I read about the day of Pentecost and how they, you know, they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost and all these other nations were astounded. What does this mean? We're hearing in our own language the marvelous works of God and it provided an opportunity to testify of Jesus there. And so we've been praying as a team that the Lord might give us opportunities to maybe pray in tongues over these people who we don't speak the same language, but they were there with the hope of salvation in Jesus. And let me read something as these pictures are showing. Uh, I read Matthew Henry's commentary where he kind of touches on that topic a little bit. He says, Dr. Lightfoot observes that the dividing of tongues at the Tower of Babel was the casting off of the heathen. For when they'd lost the language in which alone God was spoken of and preached, they utterly lost the knowledge of God and religion and fell into idolatry. But now, after 2,000 years, God, by another dividing of tongues, restores the knowledge of himself to the nations. And so uh, it was there at the Jungle Hotel uh, that we prayed over this woman and we loved on this woman. And then the Lord led just a praying out in tongues over her. And so as you guys are praying for just the work that's continuing even while we're gone, be praying for that, that experience that she experienced, that it was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, and that the Lord would just be ministering to her. The, that, that guy who doesn't speak Nepali was ministering to me in the marvelous works of God. And, and, and like that was, that God was here. You know, I, I need Jesus. Um, so uh, it was a beautiful trek. It was incredible to go along this trail up the Long Tong Valley. And we followed this river almost the whole time. Sometimes we were down by it. Sometimes we were way above it. It was loud like the ocean the whole time. Giant rapids, giant boulders, beautiful blue-green. Uh, really almost felt like you were in Hawaii except, you know, freezing cold, you know, ice cold water. Um, and so... Uh, it was uh, really a beautiful trek. And as you'll see in some of the pictures, as we're going up, it's, you can't tell by the GPS satellite view, but we went through just all kinds of ecosystems and all kinds, you know, you're in jungle, you're in uh, tundra, you're in meadows, uh, you're in forests with like pine trees. I mean, it was just, uh, just a vast uh, kaleidoscope of different ecosystems and terrain. Uh, most of the train really was up, you know, uh, going up, and uh, and here we are outside of the Jungle Hotel, heading out that morning to keep going up towards Changsha, Changsha, uh, or Tongue Shop, as we learn to uh, call it. So, Tongue Shop, Truck Stop, whatever. Um, <coughs> uh, I'll tell uh, about Changsha, and uh, and then if something catches my eye as we're going up. Uh, so we went to uh, this really nice guest house that's been rebuilt since the uh, 2015 earthquake. And we just, we were there and we did uh, a push-up contest, which was incredible. I think I came in second place? First, maybe. Apparently raising your butt like an inchworm off the ground, like doesn't count. So I was disqualified, but got a participation award, which was great. And uh, we had a great, like, feats of strength uh, time there. Uh, but we also began worshiping uh, with a little sound speaker that we took with us. And uh, as we were worshiping, uh, the guest house owners, who were actually 19 years old, I think, 19 or 20-year-olds, uh, they came in and they just sat there listening to us with the biggest smiles on their face. 
you know, drumming their chair and just listening along. And, um, and uh, the next morning, uh, and, and let me kind of set up a little bit of the rest of the trip. Um, the, the method that the Lord gave us this year was um, to minister to these guest house owners. And I was always grieved the years past because guest house owners would hang out in their little quarters and they'd come out and they'd bring you your food and then they'd turn and they'd walk away. And I was just always grieved, like, I want to talk to them. You know, what's, it seems like they don't even want to talk to us. And for three years, I've been grieved that we've never been able to kind of break the barrier and, and be with them. And, um, and so this time, just the Lord opened that up to where they'd come in and hang out with us. And we would ask them every time, wherever we were at, can you share your story with us? Um, and especially um, being a part of that horrific earthquake that Long Tong Valley felt the effects of so horrifically. Um, Mark had a bad back and I spent plenty of time finding out every mole. Uh, no, uh, it was nice to be able to love on a brother uh, with some essential oils. And um, thank you, Courtney, for that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we all got a chance. Um, but, uh, and so what was amazing was these guys were in and they're listening to us with worship and they were in there the next day and we're just making friendships and, and we would, we asked them, and this is almost the story for every guest house we were at, we would ask them, hey, we're learning about Tibetan Buddhism back in America and we just want to know, tell us about your faith, tell us about what it's like, what's your hope, you know, just tell us about it. And every single one of them didn't even want to talk about Tibetan Buddhism. They wanted to talk about, they've been hearing about Jesus. It was incredible. Every house had a testimony of that. Didn't even want to talk. No, no really, we, we want to know about Tibetan Buddhism. Like, no, but there's a guy who's been coming up here and praying for me, one of these young guys said, and my shoulder was hurting so bad, and he prayed to Jesus, and now my shoulder feels good. I mean, and it was, so that was Chung Shop, you know, so pray for uh, Pamong, Pamong and Paman, I think was the, the two guys' names, just very original. Um, actually, they're named by the days of the week they were born on, so I think we should adopt that, like yeah. Thursday and Mondays, and we'll have seven names in the church. Um, uh, share about this house on the way up. Uh, this guest house owner had his house collapse during the earthquake, so he's rebuilding uh, his name was Dindu. He's there uh, leaning against his house, talking to us. Uh, we had him sit down, talk about um, his story. He lost relatives in the earthquake up at Long Tong, which I'll share about in a minute. And um, again, we asked him, tell us about Tibetan Buddhism. Tell us about, and he's like, you know what? Uh, there's been some Christians coming up in here and they've been praying for us in the name of Jesus. And that's, that's been like, so you guys, we are like at the crest of like a revival in the Long Tong Valley. They're unreached, like there's no disciples of Jesus, uh, but they're hearing about Jesus. And just through trips up there, we're spending time sitting with them, ministering the love of Christ, showing generosity, showing love. We have friends, we've got email addresses, we're gonna be communicating, we're gonna be talking, and we're gonna be going back, Lord willing. And, uh, and it was there with Dindu that we began getting closer up to the Long Tong Valley. We wouldn't be there at this time, but the next day we would hit the Long Tong Village area. Uh, and you'll notice the trees on the side of the hill have been delimbed 
And the closer you get up to the Longtong village where the uh, earthquake wreaked its most havoc, uh, the, the timber will be fallen over uh, like an atomic bomb blast had went through there. And so we'll talk about that uh, when we get to the next day. This is uh, Chung Chop. Uh, these are our rooms, beautiful sunset there up on the Longtong Mountain. And, uh, and where, you know, the Lord did some neat ministry there. We would end up coming back through there as well. The next day, we went, uh, it was a special day because we would make the whole trek up to the end of the Longtong Valley. Uh, but we would go up through Longtong Village. Now, as you look here, um, the, where those blue things i'm not sure there that's us yeah no uh the blue things are right next to the landslide uh during uh the Longtong earthquake during the nepali earthquake uh there was a glacier up on the mountain that was just kind of sitting like a little egg in a basket uh with a frozen lake and when the earthquake happened the whole side of the mountain fell thousands of feet down directly upon the Longtong village and almost everybody in the village was buried under 150 feet of rubble. Uh, and so this was just, just disaster, more than decimated the Longtong Valley and the trekking uh, uh, family. Every family lost somebody, nearly every family lost somebody. Some that we met and ministered to lost multiple mothers and husbands and wives and multiple children. And, and they're just hurting there and so you can see how devastating that landslide is uh bodies were just not found body pieces were found and it was said that when the when the glacier and the landslide went across the valley and hit that black which is just the other side of the mountain range there uh it hit with such a force it was half the power of an atomic bomb and so the concussion alone went up both sides of the valley just ripping the tree line apart just falling timber one woman who was lost in the avalanche her body parts were found two miles up the valley so you know this is in 2015 so it was just a couple years ago that this happened and our our friend from our organization had just started going up and ministering the gospel for the very first time when that earthquake happened and then the trails were shut off for about a year's time no one really went in or out but by helicopter uh, so as we, this was really like the exciting part for me and for a lot of our team was getting into this village that had been hurt so bad. We had seen the uh, effects of the earthquake on TV and on the, on Facebook. And so we were, oh, that side doesn't have the blue. Oh, I'm going to go over this way now. Um, <clears throat> I get distracted really easily. Uh, we have a, a shrine for an Italian man. There's his crampons there, the yellow straps uh, who died there. Um, but just to be able to go where we long to go and minister love, especially in that valley, uh, sad thing was like there really wasn't anybody there. But just before the Longtong village was this village, and just behind the shed to the right, you can barely see, I think DJ might be standing there, there's some, there were four women sitting, and they had some books opened up. And so we went and we're like, okay, so either this is someone who's trying to learn to be a better Buddhist, you know, they're obviously from the West, uh, or they're reading the Bible to these people. And so we started talking, they spoke English, uh, one gal was from the UK, one was from Michigan, one was from Hong Kong, and one was from Tulo Siabro, where we'd been in years past. And, uh, and I was like, so what are you guys reading? They're like, Bibles. 
And we're like, good, because we're Christians. And they're like, yeah. And so they were so encouraged that more people are coming up in here uh, to minister the gospel. And they were making disciples. They'd been, uh, this one gal from the UK had been there for five years, had experienced all kinds of like ravages to her health and her body, just being there. It's so hard on you. And uh, they've been ministering to this hurting valley, and they're so thrilled that there's people with the same vision to get up in there with the gospel. But here is where you see that light part on the map. This is all the avalanche landslide. Uh, the snow has melted. It was a horrible stench for years there as you'd go through. Even today, you can still smell a bit of the decay. See the house there in the, in the right up against the cliff? It's the only house that survived the landslide. Basically, the landslide shot off the ramp of the mountain there landed on top of the village and just launched over that one house, the only surviving house of Long Tong there. Uh, and so as you kind of cross this no man's land, you get to the new village where there's a, um, a memorial put up. All the different, many nations, many trekkers were there at the time. Uh, three gals from the United States died. A couple 19-year-old girls from the United States died in that landslide. And so just praying for the people as we went up, moved our way up the valley, uh, and went to lunch um, at a place called the Me Very Happy Guest House. Um, one spectacular thing about this trip was the, the gals that went with us, Mindy and Kimmy and Courtney, they would go into the guest house and start helping them prepare the lunches and the dinners. This has never happened before. So they're in there and they're making friendships and they're learning about lives. And I think really that set the tone to be comfortable enough to come out and, and share stories with us. And so uh, as they did that uh, at the Me Very Happy Guest House, we brought that woman out. We talked with her. She shared about all her loved ones who had died and in the earthquake. And then she said, pray for me for a long and happy life. Uh, and then I said, well, can I share a story with you from the Bible? And she said, Keep it short and sweet, <laughs> which is all. You just say that to me, right? Just say that to me. That's all I need. It's like short and sweet, Rory. Okay, like today, short and sweet. Um, why don't you give us a theology on missions before you tell about your Nepal trip? Um, we all said it. It's out in the open now. Um, and I and I just, just told her the story of uh, Lazarus rising from the dead. And Mary's heart of losing a loved one and grieving. And then Jesus is like, I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, it's, uh, you believe in me, even though you die, you'll live. Do you believe this? And we were able to preach the gospel, share the gospel, and move on from there. Up into Kyunjing Gumpa. Yes, that is exactly how you pronounce it. Uh, Kyungjing Gumpa is basically all the way up the valley. It's one of the last villages before the end of the Longtong Valley. Um, it's quite the trek and, uh, man, it was a long day again, it, going through different ecosystems, systems and breaking it up kind of makes it fun as a trek. Beautiful. I mean, probably the best mountain views we've ever seen on our trips. And as we got to the top, uh, there, we had, a uh, an incredible overlook that just surprised all of us. Um, and you'll see, uh, some team pictures of us there. Uh, there at Kyungjin Gumpa. Uh, and there we met a man named Karma and his sister. And Karma was one of the guys who um, he lost his wife and his son in the earthquake. Uh, the landslide basically fell on top of their second guest house there in Long Tong. 
and uh, he lost a brother. And as we told him, uh, would you share with us about Tibetan Buddhism? Uh, he said, you know what? In all the disaster relief that we experienced up here in the Longtong Valley, the Buddhists wouldn't help. They were selfish. They were being self-centered. They were not sacrificing at all. And the Longtong Valley got nothing. But you know who really helped us? Were the Christians. And he started talking about Christianity and how self-sacrificial the Christians have been. And I was able to talk about, you know, we're just, a lot of things have been done in the name of Jesus that haven't been great. But when we follow Jesus, we learn from his example. And that is sacrificial love that lays down our life for our friends. And, and uh, karma was also very sad that the culture of, of the Tibetans is being lost. Kids are being sent to Kathmandu to be educated. And they're not learning how to take care of a goat and, you know, uh, plant a crop. And he's just sad that the culture's being lost. And I was able to share that God's heart is for the nations and that every culture and tribe and tongue and people would know Jesus and be around his throne in eternity. And they will be represented uh, if they're in Jesus. And so uh, it was a great time of sharing the gospel there. Uh, there at Kangjing uh, Gumpa, uh, you take off uh, and you head up to a viewpoint uh, very high up. Uh, it's about, um, this is a Buddhist stupa right before Kyongjing Gumpa. And uh, we went in there, we sang, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Mark and I posed as special forces um, soldiers. And uh, as we, pr not as we prayed, that would be silly. But um, <laughs> I then saw a demon and had to uh, push Mark out of the way and save his life. So, you know, it's like uh, kind of what you do, you know, when you're... A ranger for the Lord, but uh, no, just kidding. Um, but uh, DJ did nothing. He sat there <laughs> and watched. Uh, up behind there, you can see the viewpoint uh, that we would hike up to. Uh, the first rocky outcropping is 14,200 feet, and we would go up and pray. It was brutal. All the hiking we did, when you get no oxygen, you can barely move. Uh, but it was a time that the Lord broke all of us of ourselves, and we just began to learn about when you can't breathe, like, you need Jesus, and it's preparation for what we go through here in the States. Uh, DJ and Mindy were able to cruise up to a higher viewpoint at 15,100 feet and pray over the Longtong Valley from up there. We then headed back the next day. This is Kyongjin Gompa. This is the, like, we didn't even see this village, and we crested up on this hill, and it's there, uh, we were so excited to almost be done trekking for the day. It was a really long day. Uh, so there were some victory poses taken. Um, we took a, a group picture. And then Mindy was like, let's do a silly picture. And then Courtney said, like this, with her trekking poles, and cracked me in the throat. And now, <laughs> now I have this scar tissue. That, this trekking poles from Courtney. Yeah. Also, the viewpoint was also the site of the local dump, which was nice. Um, so we began to head back down the valley. Uh, it took about three days to get back down, and we're hustling as fast as our little legs will take us. Uh, and we're moving, and we're ministering as we can. We're saying hi to people along the way that we've ministered to. And we would end up taking a different route and head up north to a town called Sherpa Ghana. There's Karma. There's his sister uh, there in Kyongjinguba. Okay. Um, why don't you go ahead and hop? We'll just catch us up to um, 
Oh yeah, so don't brush your teeth with Lotrimin. Is, uh, it really helps you get going for the trek for the day. It's like, um, it literally happened. Um, this is the viewpoint, just incredible pictures. I mean, mountain views, like we've just, uh, we really haven't seen anything like this yet until this year in Nepal, so it was just spectacular. But on our way back down, we took a little bit of a detour and we went to a village called Sherpa Ghana. <laughs> yeah, so the girls are trying to pretend like they fell off a cliff there and they got photobombed by a certain, <laughs> certain weasel in the back. Um, so Sherpa Ghan, out of the way, uh, was an incredible place where ministry took place. Um, Sherpagan used to be on a heritage trekking route. Uh, two years ago, our team went on the first half of that trekking loop, uh, which included a village called Tatopani, which means hot water. Uh, and it was a hot springs, almost like resort of Nepal. During the earthquake, uh, the mountain shifted, the hot water sp uh, spring was shut off, and now there's no hot water there. And we witnessed that two years ago in 2016. Uh, what that has done is it's really shut off the trekking uh, tourism that has boosted the economy in that area. It's gone now, and so nobody goes through Sherpa Ghana anymore. And the woman who was the guest house owner at Sherpa Ghana, uh, she was a widow. Her husband had died of, I think, lung cancer. Everyone got a turn. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she shared about her husband dying. Now she takes care of her 89-year-old mother and her 94-year-old mother-in-law or something like that. And, um, and she's just grieved because the, they can't, they're struggling to survive. And it was there that the Lord put on our heart to pray really one of those big prayers of miracles that God does to reach the unreached people. And we prayed this prayer and we sang out over her that the Lord would shake the mountain again there at Tatopani and open up the hot spring again to bring trekkers back through and that they would know when that happens that it was Jesus who did it and she would, she would give her life over to Jesus. And when we asked her, tell us about Tibetan Buddhism, she said, it's really just traditions that have been passed on from my family. Like, I really don't even know what to tell you. And so we're praying that that testimony goes on too. But some Christians came through and they prayed for Tatopani and the springs have opened up and we knew that that was Jesus. And something interesting about that is the next morning after we ministered to her and prayed for her, uh, it snowed. You can see Sherpa Ghana in the background there. It snowed, and her son told us, he was 23 years old, he says he's never seen snow there before. It was the first time they'd ever seen snow at Sherpa Ghana. And I think maybe DJ, you were told, or someone was told that um, to them that snow means good luck. And so something that we're going to continue to pray for as a church. And why don't you hold on. There's Tatopani, where we visited before. And right where that pin is are where the hot springs are at. So something we're going to be praying for as a church continually in prayer over is um, that the hot springs would open up and that they would know that that was Jesus and they would come to be followers of him. Uh, last thing I'm going to share is two years, three years ago when we went through Cyper Vesi, there was a waiter who was about uh, 19 years old who was limping with a horrible limp, and the Lord led me to pray for his leg that he would be healed. I found out that, that he'd had that limp since birth, and there in the restaurant that we were at, he began to walk and hop 
and his leg was healed. Now, he was young. He was actually probably 15 or, or younger at the time, and um, he was a little awkward, didn't really know what to say about being healed. And I've seen him in years past, but he just was a little awkward, just didn't really want to know what to say. And this year, I finally got to talk with him. I'm like, so your leg, man, like, do you remember me? He's like, yeah, I remember you. I'm like, so your leg, was it, was it broken or not? Yeah, it was broken. And now is it not broken? Yeah, it's not broken. Remember, that was Jesus. He wants you to follow him. Uh, and so that was, if you keep going, that was this little dude. He's so excited to be in a picture with me. I don't know if you can tell. So excited to be able to walk again and, you know, to know Jesus. But um, no, so his name's uh, Seating, and these are his employers. And they were there with me that day, and they said, yeah, that was the day that his leg was made better, and he's walked normal ever since. So, um, so why don't we have, is Cossett here? I haven't seen, hey, dude, where's your bright orange hat that you wore all through Nepal? Did you burn it? Oh, defumed it? Okay. DJ, Dustin, Courtney, I'm just have all you come up at the same time and just be up here, and they're just going to share kind of the impactful part of their trip. Uh, it won't be long. We loved our, our flight back into Redmond and the signs, and it was such a joy. But I wanted you to just be able to hear the highs and the lows from a few people uh, from the team, uh, and then we'll all rejoice together. So let's give them just a few minutes, and we'll be done today. I think you should go first. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Tell about the essential oils you brought on the oh trip. <laughs> yes, the smell good queen, I'm telling you. Okay. Rory said five minutes. I'm going to try to do it better than Rory. Five minutes. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to back up a little bit about, um, I made a few notes because I didn't want to like get emotional and Joe said he was going to throw something at me if I cry, so I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> stick to that. So just preparing for the trip, um, kept carrying the Lord, just saying like as, as we were preparing physically, just train for godliness, train for godliness. And that led me to studying First and Second Timothy. And the verse that kind of stuck with me was First Timothy 4.8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and life to come. So that just stuck with us, I think. Um, it was huge for me, and that, like, I kept hearing that verse as I was trekking and just led me to Second Timothy and just learning to suffer well and take on those moments that your legs felt like you couldn't move any longer but so that was really good that I feel like the Lord prepped me not just physically but here in that train for godliness and it and digging in was really good so as we got in um, of course some fears like as we got closer leaving the kids and um, self-doubt like am I really gonna be able to do this I'm not sure if I can do this physically um, the Lord met me like as soon as I got there he just was like, the world's going to expect you to miss your kids. The world wants you to be, you know, longing for them every night, but have faith in me. And I'm telling you, it was crazy. Like, I would think about them on the trail, but I never was upset. I never was just, like, longing for them. It was just like the Lord covered those with, like, abundant love. Um, some of the nights we, we had a little tradition, we'd share highs and lows of the day. And... One night, it was just so overwhelming that we could feel the power of the church praying for us that day. It was like, it was nothing I've ever experienced. And that day, it was like all of our physical needs were met. Um, not saying it was easy, but it was just like the prayer from the church and just hearing them 
it like had a wind in our back. Like it was just like, all right, just keep going, just keep going. We got this. Like stay focused. We're on the mission. And the Lord, like for me, was huge because this little Nepali girl that went with us, she was just probably like 90 pounds, like half my size. She's just a little girl. And she would say, um, out of the blue, I know the Lord was using her. We'd be trekking and she'd just say, you're so strong. And I was like, oh my gosh. So like, it was just incredible. Her little voice was with me. She said it probably like five times throughout the whole trip. And that was pretty incredible. Um, health was covered. Like we felt the power of prayer through that it was incredible. And some of the time, like Rory said, is that all of us girls had time to share in the kitchens. So when we would get there, it was really an opportunity to try to go there and meet with the women and learn their cultures and just understand where they're coming from um, to try to break that barrier of, we know that they want to serve us and it's an honor for them to serve, but we wanted to be different. And so it was like, God just provided us to get over the discomfort of just walking in and being like, hey, how are you? And they're kind of looking at you like, okay. And, and I'm like, can I peel some potatoes? Cause that was kind of the thing I learned that everywhere we went, we had to peel potatoes and they're very hot. So they boil the potatoes first so I learned how to peel potatoes by hand, and um, that was kind of different. Um, one husband was in the kitchen with us one day, and he said, I thought it was hilarious, and I was scrubbing some dishes, and he said, oh, your husband be so happy, you hard worker. And I, <laughs> and I was like, mm, probably not so much at home, but yeah, <laughs> it was great. Um, like Rory said, the top of the peak that day after Gajin Gumpa, it was a complete struggle. I mean, for everyone, I think physically it was challenging, the hardest day for sure. Um, and at the top, we just had this incredible time of prayer and worship. And um, like he, we were visiting and stuff, and then Lord, I just kind of like stepped away for a minute and just, I just like broke down. And he was like, okay. Like I heard it so vividly. He's like, do you understand? Like, did I have to bring you all the way here? to like truly believe in me like truly have no doubt like what am I saying to you like there's no doubt I've got everything under control and I was like okay <laughs> like got got it um it was just obvious there was every opportunity like Rory said meeting with the guest house people and just having the conversations it was it was already planned before we could even get there it was incredible um so Speaking of the lady in Sherpa Guan, um, her name, I guess I probably shouldn't say, but anyway, I went to the kitchen with her right away when we got there, and she was had a great laugh, which I love laughing, so I was like, we connected right away just about laughing, because she couldn't really understand what I was saying, and I was trying to like make sense of it, and we just started laughing together, so it was kind of, it was wonderful, and um, like Rory said, her husband's died, she's caring for this guest house on her own, she doesn't have the finances to continue to build the guest house. And um, so caring for the 80-year-old and the 89-year-old mother-in-law. And it's like, how does she have this laugh? It was just a beautiful thing. It was, she was incredible. And um, we're sharing her story. And then she, the, through the translator, eventually says, well, you know, can, can we pray for you to help me financially? And then that's when Rory was like, tell her we're going to pray a big prayer. And so we like tell, tell her that and she starts shaking. I look at Rory and I'm like, she's shaking. And Rory's like, 
I'm shaking. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, like you just felt the spirit, like everyone's hearts were pounding and it was like, oh my gosh, okay, well, you know, this big prayer is gonna, gonna move for her. So throughout that, <laughs> this, is, this is kind of a funny story I'm gonna share, but so throughout that, I kept hearing the Lord telling me like, you need rubber feet. And I was like, okay, for those of you that know me, <laughs> I have a really weak stomach and I'm like, I don't know, Lord, like, I'm definitely not going to rub those feet. They don't look clean. Like, <laughs> not doing that. And, um, like, we kept praying and worshiping. The music was on, and I'm, like, sitting next to her, like, had my hands on her at one point, and she takes her shoes off and puts them up to the wood stove. I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't do it. I don't know if I can do it. And um, so I didn't respond then. Um, later, I told Kimmy, I was like, man, I just feel like, God was telling me to do that, and I don't know what to do. And we kind of went on through the night. About like 45 minutes later, I would say, we were like, oh, we need to hang those clothes up because they're not going to dry if they're outside all night, thankfully, because that was the night it snowed. And so we go back down there. It was totally a God thing. And she's getting ready for bed, and, and my heart just instantly is pounding again. I'm like, okay, that's the Holy Spirit just telling me. And I'm like, I looked at Kimmy like, oh, my God, I have to do this. <laughs> I don't want to, but I have to. And um, so I looked to Kimmy, and I was like, just start praying that I don't gag. Because <laughs> I don't want to get sick. <laughs> and um, I'm just like, oh, okay, because this is not of me. Like, I know that this, the Lord can do this. So um, then Kimmy did start praying. So I'm like, oh, boy, I really have to do this now. And so I did. I just, um, the whole time I was rubbing her feet, well, I had asked her, I said, do your feet hurt? And she said, yes, because I just know. I mean, she's the one taking care of her whole entire farm, too. And I just knew. I'm like, this lady is exhausted. She has no one to care for her. It was just, I know it was God telling me to serve her. And so then I said, do you want me to rub your feet? And she said, yes, and got very excited. And so I did. And it was just a time that I got to pray with her. And I just explained how, like, when we have Jesus, we're called to be servants and just love on people and talk to her about how she's a servant and you know that's the love from Jesus and she totally got it like I know it was a language barrier but talking slow and like we she we got it we were on the same page so just a reminder to everyone like that's not what I wanted to do <laughs> I did not really feel like rubbing some dirty feet but it's just encouraging to like step out in faith and like you hear that you I'm sure most of you have felt that heart pounding like oh boy the spirit just get out of your comfort zone and just respond and God's going to use you and it's powerful so um last thing just getting back into service and hearing that everything went well it was again like the power of the church praying it was just life-changing to feel the power of prayer and then little picture I'll leave you with is uh the bus ride was terrible right so i try to find the joy in it and I was like okay well some of you might think especially you Alex no I'm like I like to say hi to everyone I might be like a Walmart greeter when I retire or something <laughs> but just seeing the faces like on this terrible bus ride for nine and a half hours on the way home like waving to the people and their faces just light up and they're like you know they like grab their mom like look 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 she waved or look at that person you know um just a reminder, like, you don't have to be in Nepal on a terrible bus to just 
be different. Like people will know you've got God. probably helped that she was the only one in Nepal with blonde hair too so <laughs> all those little boys be like oh my god she waved at me <laughs> so. um, you know I, doing this kind of thing isn't my cup of tea but uh, so anyway uh, you know this trip was by far different than last year uh, you know last year you kind of had a culture shock kind of come through your your brain, everything you, you think is trying to kill you, and everything's awkward. People try to talk to you. You don't know what to say. You're just, it seems like such an awkward thing. But uh, this year, you know, that culture shock kind of has already been there, you know. So you're able to relax and, and uh, you know, realize that, you know, you're just, you're just around people, you know. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I think one of my... Uh, you know, just like this thing right now, what, what, what can this guy right here do to, to, uh, to help out? You know, I'm not, not the most literate, and, you know, I don't, you know, probably know as much as I probably should in the Bible, you know, so the whole time you're there is like, you know, I can hike, you know, I can carry packs, and, and I can, you know, just help each other, you know, but what, what, how can I add some, some kind of, uh, what, what, what part of me is going to assist in this trip, you know, and, and uh, so there's that one day that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm around. I'm probably a little bit different than most of these guys here. These guys are all around, you know, massaging each other's back and, and, you know, taking a bite out of a piece of food and just like, hey, you want some? And I'm like, no, eat your own food, you know. And, <laughs> and then essential oil lady's here. She's like putting it on your neck and hand it around, you know. And, they're, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting back in these guest houses, you know, just kind of watching, you know, hugging and you know if you heard me talk before coming here it was like you don't hug nobody you know and uh so anyway I can get kind of watching all this stuff happen and go you know I'm just not just not these people I'm not the most openly spiritual and you know and just lovey kind of guy and there was one day just all day long I was just hiking up the hill just beating myself up going how you know I'm how am I going to do this I'm, how how am I helping Packing this pack up there, taking care of myself, isn't, you know, doing it. But, you know, kind of long story short is all day long, the farther I got back, the more I just wanted to be by myself and didn't want to talk to nobody, you know. And then we're able to sit up there at uh, one of the villages with Dindu. I don't know what the name of it was. but um, And we're all sitting around the table listening to this guy's story. And, and uh, you know, I got the opportunity where he asked me to be able to pray. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know, and, and the whole time when I'm walking up there, I'm just like, God, what, what, what can I do? How, how can I help? How, where, where do I fit into this? You know, and just that Rory asking me to pray just totally transformed my whole entire trip. You know, we can pray, we can pray, and I got to pray, and it was so awesome, you know, and, and, you know, I think that's just, it, you don't have to be anybody, you know what I mean? Just basically praying, and, one thing I can really come back saying is that these trips, you, you, you have an opportunity to go help people and maybe impact one person's life, maybe thousands of people's life, but you're impacting your community, you're impacting your children, my wife. I mean, every time that I go and come back, the transformation of my family is just, 
is just crazy. So if you have an opportunity or even tiny, tiny been pushed to go do something like this, do it. You'll never regret it. It's amazing. Thank you. Good morning, folks, or good afternoon, I suppose. I'll keep it, keep it really short. I'll tell you all my Nepal joke if you haven't heard it yet. Do you know why Nepal's called Nepal? Anyone? Because Nepal went there. That's why it's so dark, or at least that's part of my thesis, is why it's so dark spiritually in Nepal. Paul went what, north and more, more west than, than east. Now, the thing, kind of reflecting upon this trip as the, similar to the previous trip that I wanted a couple years ago, is humility. And I think this trip, I took a little bit more for granted in preparation, whether it was on the home front or even in the physical preparation of it and leaving that morning here at the church. There's a couple household items that, again, just kind of taken for granted. Oh, I've been there. I've done that. You know, I just the, the previous trip, I made, had my long you know, list of things to do and made sure everything was buttoned down tight before I left. This time took a little bit more for granted. So leaving on the trip, leaving a couple home items unchecked, um, was kind of humbling because when you step on that plane and you know you're going to be off grid for a couple weeks, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in my flesh, one of my weaknesses is control, and you have absolutely no control when you're stepping on that plane for a couple weeks in regards to home front, and uh, that, that's very humbling, and that hum humbling continued in Nepal. I know a lot of you have been there. A lot of you have been in third world countries. I'm not so certain that this is necessarily unique to Nepal, but having been immersed in a third world country a couple times, seeing the humility, the poor in spirit and the meekness of the people in Nepal, in Kathmandu, in the big city, as well as in the villages, um, is very humbling. And certainly what I've gathered from all of that is the humility isn't humility from Jesus. It's humility as in I'm imprisoned and in spiritual bondage as well as you've talked a lot of Nepalese there, they've never left the country. I mean, in, in they're burning trash on the side of the roads to stay warm. And you see the little kids sitting there getting warm. You're, you're at 4,000 feet in a bus and you're going around these mountains. And there's houses and, and little villages right on the side of that cliff. And, and our road goes right by it. And there's a two to 4,000 foot drop off and a little pile of trash right there on the side of the dirt road burning in the morning for the kids to stay warm. I suppose if you live in that environment, you don't know, perhaps you don't know any different, but they seem to be very humble in spirit, maybe because of their life circumstances and, again, because of the spiritual bondage that they're in, which, as Rory mentioned, it was a blessing to see the other missionaries on, on uh, deployment over there in Nepal, as well as the missionaries that we partner with, with the organization that we're with, and it certainly um, reminds us which I think as a church we already know that the harvest is truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But to see the few laborers that were there, it was just a blessing to see and very humbling for myself. Now, to keep it short, there's a, there's a couple of quick stories I want to share that are very memorable for me, and I haven't received permission from a particular uh, gentleman that was on the trail with us to share this story, but do I have permission, Mr. McKinnon, to share a very, okay. So, so what the last village that we were in, Gonjing Jompa, um, 
and there's a gentleman again, karma that again he rory shared his story he had lost his I th his wife i think brother daughter and son or some combination of all that unfortunately that were in the long tong village that morning of the earthquake karma had left long tong village for this other village where they had a second home and his life is spared but his family perished in long tong and we're sitting around a fire and there was myself mark karma and his um what sister it's hard to tell ages there because someone that looks like they're 75 years old might only be 50 because of the hard way of life but nonetheless this gal um there was myself if you could picture mark the sister and then karma and then everyone else was sitting around the other side of the fire kind of in this u-shaped table and we're sitting there listening to karma's story but the sister kept looking over at mark and i and almost, almost in tears, almost like she was in pain. I wasn't sure. I thought, okay, we're going to have to pray for this gal, figure out what's going on here. And after about 10 or 15 minutes or so, she gets up and leaves the room. And then she comes back with another gal, probably about her age. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, got to do the gentleman thing and get up and go sit, you know, amongst the rest of the team. So there's another spot. And I'm like, hey, Mark, you know, come with me. Come with me or scoot over. And, and I'll, I'll go sit over here. That way the two ladies and karma can sit together and Mark on the end or Mark come with me. And I'm like, Mark, come on. And then the gal pulls Mark back down, <laughs> right back into his seat. And so here's Mark. Here's, um, I can't remember, one of the gals over here. Maybe it was a sister. And then this other gal that came in the room in Karma. And Mark's right in the middle. And they kind of scooted their chairs over a little bit closer to Mark. And, and I go back, and I'm sitting amongst the others. And Karma's still telling the story. And then within a couple minutes, I hear the interpreters. And I think, uh, a couple of the others were just snickering and, and giggling. And I, I, I'm not, at that point, I wasn't sure what was going on. But what my understanding what was going on was the sister that had left and brought back the other gal. She was telling Mark, you marry her. She marry you. <laughs> and Mark just, I don't know if he knew, I don't know if that was in English or if that was in Nepali or a combination of the two. But I believe our interpreters kind of understood what was going on. And they're laughing and sharing with us around the table what was going on. But that was... That was a pretty f funny story, and I think Mark was like, me married, me married. <laughs> and, uh, but Mark was just humble in the, in the midst of all that, so that was one of the funny stories. And, and the last, I guess, the mo one of the things that was most impressionable upon me on this story was I've never been um, in a setting where the Lord worked through someone to speak in tongues. And I think that happened twice. The Lord working through, the Holy Spirit working through Rory to speak in tongues just blew me away. It was like the Mount transfiguration um i think you know type of event where they're coming off the mountain and just glowing and just that that was me leaving uh those guest houses that day of like hey how does this work how did that happen we got to make a you know we got to make an altar here for <laughs> for this uh event and type of deal and so that, that was very humbling and and i just want to encourage everyone here that it certainly does not take stepping on a plane to be gone for two weeks to allow the lord to humble us and the thing that occurred to me on the plane uh, on the way over was, and it's in Proverbs, I think, 22, prepare the horse for battle, but the deliverance is of the Lord. And again, kind of that debate of, uh, of our responsibility and God's sovereignty. But we can ultimately rest in, we got to do what God calls us to do, to be prayer warriors here, to be senders or to go, and to respond to that, but the increase is up to God.